Wherever cancer is, Hancock Health will fight. In any part of you and in all corners of East Central Indiana. From Indianapolis to Greenfield to Knightstown to Greensburg. From hospital rooms to family rooms, we fight. With technology and medicine. With care backed by the wisdom of Mayo Clinic. For you, for your family, and for your future in Decatur County. We fight cancer here. HancockHealth.org slash cancer. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIPC. And good afternoon and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're, we're glad to have you with us. It's nice to be back in the studio with producer Carl. We uh, broadcast, uh, as you know, if you were listening last weekend, from uh, remote location out at uh, Premier Arms in Brownsburg. And I got to tell you, uh, Bryce, the owner out there, uh, is uh, a great host. It's the second time we've done it. Tony Katz. Uh, and I both broadcast out there. Tony did the second hour of Eat, Drink, Smoke that, as you know, immediately precedes the Gun Guy Show uh, from Premier Arms live with a live crowd. It was great. People came out and tailgated, which is awesome. And uh, and then I did my whole show, all two hours of it, uh, there at Premier Arms. So I'll tell you what, uh, it's a great organization. We were there raising money uh, for Brownsburg Blessing Boxes, essentially a food drive. And it was uh, to raise money uh, for people who need it, for people who need to be fed. And I was proud to participate, and I was glad that Tony asked me to do it again. Tony is really the driving force behind it, along uh, with the ownership there at Premier Arms. So I was happy to be there, and thanks to everybody who came out. It was a lot of fun. Al Unser Jr. came out of uh, Indy 500 fame. Uh, with his beautiful wife, Norma, who I've actually known for a long time. Get this, Al Unser Jr. married uh, to the former Nor- Norma Lawrence, a good friend of mine. I got to know Norma really well when she worked for the NRA. And she's uh, been very much proponent for Second Amendment rights here. And it was neat that uh, that she and Al Jr. got married. They came out, made a guest appearance, came on the air. That was fun. Uh, my, my friend and client, Eli Dickin the hero of the Greenwood Park Mall uh, shooting, who averted, who ended that mass shooting in a mere 15 seconds, I will have you know, from the time it started. People say, where's that 15 seconds come from? Is that from the time Eli started shooting until it was over? What does the 15 seconds really uh, relate to? And it's worth discussing. When you watch the security tape, and it's not been released to the public, but his attorney, as his attorney, I was able to see it and reviewed it with the, the Greenwood Police Department. And what it is is from the time the bad guy, and I don't mention mass shooters' names ever, but from the time the bad guy came out of the bathroom where he'd been for a full hour, and there are no cameras in the bathroom and so we don't know what the hell he was doing in there for a full hour. But from the time the, the bad guy emerged from the bathroom and started shooting until the time that Eli ended the threat by getting his first hits on the bad guy, that entire duration where the bad guy's still shooting and killing innocent people. And again, three innocent people died. And I always want to mention that right up front. A lot of people look at the Greenwood Park Mall shooting as as something to celebrate for Second Amendment rights. And look, it certainly demonstrates, it proves conclusively, the value of an armed private citizen who's able to carry legally and is willing, has the courage to step in and protect innocent lives. It clearly establishes that that is not a myth, as we keep hearing it is from gun control proponents, that it is real, that a good guy with a gun, yes, can, and, and that they do save lives. So from that perspective, yes, it's a positive, I think it's a positive 
for gun rights in America. However, what we never want to lose sight of is that three innocent people died. And whenever we talk about that shooting, that's the first thing we ought to think about, is we ought to, we ought to grieve for and mourn those innocent people who died. However, if three people died in 15 seconds in a busy mall on a Sunday at closing time, if they died in 15 seconds, how many more would have died where you have a shooter with over 100 rounds in magazines on his person? He was wearing a chest rig with three loaded magazines of 30 rounds each and came out of the bathroom with a loaded 30-round mag, started shooting. Eli ended that mass shooting in 15 seconds. The entire duration of the shooting was 15 seconds, and which is just astonishing to me. <laughs> Interesting, I was talking to the Greenwood Police Department and, and the assistant chief and the detective down there who really spearheaded the investigation, and, and they actually, when they first reviewed the tape, didn't believe that Eli's just a, a, a normal guy off the street with a normal job who has little to no training. I mean, his grandfather taught him how to shoot when he was a, just a young boy, and that's really it. No formal training whatsoever. Greenwood PD, upon seeing the security video, didn't believe it. Well, that can't be right. You watch what Eli did and how quickly he did it and his marksmanship, starting from 43 yards away. Eli made a total of 8 out of 10 hits, didn't hit any innocent people, and ended that mass shooting in 15 total seconds. And the contrast, and, and, and about any commentary you see on the Greenwood Park, Park Mall shooting, people compare what happened in Greenwood to what happened in Uvalde where you had armed, trained, professional law enforcement personnel who stood around in a hallway for over an hour while innocent people continued to get shot. Compare the death toll. Compare the casualties in Uvalde to Greenwood. And that shows you the value, again, of a private citizen who's willing to step into the breach, willing to step up and take on a threat, willing to put himself in harm's way. To take on someone, yes, with a rifle, with yes, yes, with so-called high-capacity magazine, to step up with a pistol, a Glock 19 in this case, not even a full-size pistol, it's compact, and engage that threat and ended the threat. Eli, really, and, and, and he did this as a favor to me because he, he came up and was trying to be as anonymous as possible but wanted to visit the NRA annual meeting and exhibits. Came up with his girlfriend, Shay. And they were, as they always have been, and you'll, you, you haven't seen Eli make a single public appearance, a public comment, and you probably won't. He's a private, humble guy. And, and I've done my best to shield him from the media and, and anybody who wants to uh, really invade his privacy. He has no interest in that. You know, you see some of these folks... Uh, like Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, I, I don't think he's ever passed up an opportunity to get in front of a camera. And that's not Eli. He's exactly the opposite. But I told him I was going to be broadcasting live there from Brownsburg at Premier Arms. And uh, I invited him out. I said, man, come on out. I'd love to just say hi. I'd love to see you. And he did. And he really did, it, I think, as a, as a favor to me. That's how gracious a guy he is. I almost said kid. He's 22. Yeah, he's had a birthday since then. Uh, so he is no kid. He's uh, he's a man, but when you're as old as I am, you tend to look at anybody anywhere close to his age and want to call him a kid. But he came out, and he did about the briefest radio interview you're ever going to uh, hear. He had no real interest in, in going into any details or discussing the event or anything else. I, first, I just asked him how, how he's doing. He said, fine. And uh, I just said, thank you. You know, thank you for being that guy that had the courage, the commitment, the willingness to step in and save innocent lives. And he said, thanks. And that was pretty much the whole interview. Uh, but uh, I was thrilled that he was willing to just come out and say hi, and, and it was great to see him. You can go back and catch that on the podcast. You can always catch our podcast here. Producer Carl gets those up within a couple of hours, usually after the show ends at 7 o'clock. Uh, you can go to WIBC.com, click on Shows, 
come down and click on Gun Guy Show, and they've got they got uh, podcasts on there going back uh, several months, if not years, that you can scroll through. You can catch them on iTunes or otherwise. By the way, and we've mentioned this before, um, you can also watch the broadcasts on YouTube, and then they they post them as videos on YouTube. Go to uh, go to YouTube and search for WIBC. And you'll see uh, a whole list of gun guy shows on there. Uh, or you can watch it live. It's broadcasting live right now. Um, you can check that out as well. But anyway, that's what we did last weekend. It was a lot of fun. Uh, enjoyed doing it. And we raised a whole bunch of money for Brownsburg Blessing Boxes. And we're going to feed a whole bunch of innocent, uh, innocent I should say, we're going to feed a whole bunch of, of hungry people. Uh, they're from that area. That's a big deal. And for those of you who came out, it was great to meet you. I, I, I posed with, for a lot of pictures. Uh, some people wanted to buy my book. I had some of my books out there. It was all just a lot of fun. But I'm going to shift gears. I do want to review a little bit. We talked about it just briefly, Tony and I did, last weekend. But I do want to talk a little bit about the NRA annual meeting. I, do, I really want to hear from callers, listeners to the show, uh, about the NRA annual meeting. Did you come down? Did you go? And and how are you feeling about NRA right about now? You know, among gun owners. And obviously we know how the anti-gun people feel. I mean, you go to Shannon Watts, you know, the founder of Moms Demand Action. Go to her Twitter feed, and uh, you'll see a whole bunch of commentary on how she feels about NRA. It's interesting that they feel so compelled to demonize NRA. But even among gun owners, you know, if, 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 if I'm on a, like a gun-related page on Facebook or, you know, one of the forums out there, the discussion forum, forums, if I, if I mention NRA, you know, I'll, I'll get several negative comments from gun owners. And, and, and that varies. There are a lot of different reasons for that. But I want to talk a little bit about the NRA annual meetings. Did you come down? Did you see it? Did you go? Did you have a good time? What did you think of downtown, the atmosphere downtown? What do you, what do you think of the meetings? And, and how are we feeling about NRA these days? I, I'm really interested to hear from gun owners right here in Indiana on that issue. And then we'll get into a whole lot of other issues. You know, the stand your ground laws. And we have, yes, we have a stand your ground law here in Indiana. There's a lot of confusion about what those really mean. But they're getting blamed right now for really a series of shootings. It just happened here recently, including uh, a young kid, 16 years old, Ralph Yarl, just pulled into the wrong driveway, rang the wrong doorbell, and got shot. And, and there are several other examples. There were a group of cheerleaders who, who got shot when one of them accidentally entered the wrong car. We had an incident just like this at Castleton Square Mall here recently. Um, but a cheerleader got into the wrong car and got shot. And there are more examples of this. And, and, and the result of this are not to just criticize the individuals who did the shooting in these instances, but also to say, aha, this is all the fault of so-called stand-your-ground laws, and we need to repeal those laws because they vindicate and legalize this kind of uh, horrible uh, loss of life We'll talk about each of those cases, and there are a couple of more, but we'll also talk about whether it's fair, accurate, or even sensible to blame a law like a self-defense law, including a stand-your-ground provision, for these kinds of shootings that are heartbreaking for everyone uh, who, who, who reads about them and certainly for anyone involved. We'll get into all those issues and take your calls. Give us, give us a call, 317-239-9393. Especially if you were down at NRA, want to talk about that, how you're feeling about NRA as an organization these days, give us a call, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. We're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Talking about the NRA annual meeting being in town last week. And look, this is a big deal for Indianapolis. And uh, estimates were there were 70,000 people here uh, downtown in the One Mile Square uh, who then at some point over the really three-day event, there were some dinners and some other things going on uh, Thursday, Thursday night. But essentially... 
uh, the event was uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. 70,000 people coming here to Indy. That's good. That's great. That's awesome. It's a big boom to the economy, the hotels, uh, restaurants, bars. I'm sure I uh, saw a nice uh, boom from that, and, 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 and I'm all in favor. I'm glad they were here. They were last here in 2019, and we're glad they came back. They really have been rotating among Louisville, Nashville, Atlanta, and Houston. And Indy, and uh, and 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 I, I was thrilled they were here. It was neat to be downtown. I came down Friday for the for the event to to check out all the exhibits. That's what it's officially called: the NRA Annual Meetings and Exhibits. And uh, you had the exhibit hall, huge. I think they said fourteen acres of guns and gear, and that's exactly what it was. And a lot of neat uh, firearms, uh, a lot of new firearms, a lot of great accessories, suppressors, any number of other things. And it was neat to see all that laid out really in one place. It was just great to see that number of people. And it was busy in, 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 in the sense that I think it was very well attended, but it wasn't miserable to walk around. In other words, you, you weren't uh, doing that little shuffle walk that you have to do in a lot of busy venues. You could you could get around you could get around and see things fairly quickly, um, not in an hour or two because it was just too damn big. But I, I was there, did some of that, and then went to the leadership conference Friday afternoon, and a whole bunch of speakers. Uh, former President Trump came in, and he was the keynote, but a whole bunch of other people. Uh, we had uh, Mike Pence former Indiana governor and vice president who spoke. You had Christy Nome, governor of South Dakota. And I like her. I'm a big Christy Nome fan. There's a lot to like about Christy Nome. Uh, her politics, you know, South Dakota was the only state in the country that didn't have any lockdowns, any shutdowns during COVID. She decided to, to side on the side of liberty and freedoms and not lock anybody down. And I, I applaud that. I respect that a lot. She's also incredibly pro-2A. In fact, she signed a bill there from the stage at the leadership conference that we've been trying to get passed here in Indiana for at least three sessions now. And we can't get through the Republican Indiana General Assembly. And that's a bill that would prevent financial institutions from discriminating against gun-related businesses. For instance, I've had credit card processors who won't do business with my firearms training business, Tactical Firearms Training, LLC. I've had countless people tell me, including good friends of mine, including Tony Gregory, the lead instructor at Indy Arms there, where I also teach a lot of classes. I co-teach with, with Tony. His bank shut down his accounts and sent him a certified check for the, the balance in his accounts, just saying, we don't want to do any business with you anymore. And he contacted me and said, why on earth would you not want to do business with me? And through process of elimination, it became very clear. I believe it was Chase Bank just didn't want to do business with him because he's a firearms instructor. He's a cop. He's a captain on a police department with a, 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 a spotless record, no criminal history. But because he's a professional firearms instructor, he had a bank simply say, we don't want to do business with you. And the bills we've tried to get through Indiana just simply create some financial disincentives for financial institutions to do that. We can't, we can't get it passed here in Indiana. At least we haven't the last three years. South Dakota passed it, and Governor Christy Nome signed it from the stage right there in front of us. I had people from uh, different organizations, whether it was NRA or uh, other pro-gun organizations, saying, hey, man, because I had a real good seat. I was actually in row one. I was basically right under the podium where President Trump and, and others spoke. I have people say, say, hey, man, get a good picture of uh, Christy Nome signing that bill because we want to distribute it, or, it around here in Indiana and say this is what a pro-2A governor looks like, uh, signing a bill that a pro-2A legislature uh, got through. And we need that in Indiana. And there are ways to balance uh, having a hands-off state government that's not trying to tell businesses what to do at the same time to say, you want to discriminate against these businesses? Well, we will not reward you by giving you contracts with the state of Indiana. I can tell you how to run your business. You want to discriminate? 
discriminate away. But there's a downside because the state of Indiana simply won't do business with you. That's a smart bill. It's a good bill. We need to get it done. And, and look, make no mistake, I, I'm very pleased with how pro-2A the Indiana legislature is. But there are some things we can't get done. We can't get a self-defense bill that it would allow someone to point a gun in the process of defending their business or their other property, not pull the trigger, just simply say, for instance, during a riot, you're not going to burn my business down. Because right now, if you do that, if you're not being threatened, someone just wants to destroy your business, your sole means of livelihood. If you point a gun at that person today and say, nope, you're not throwing that Molotov cocktail through my window of my business. Again, I'm not talking about you being threatened. I'm talking about your business, your property being threatened. If you do that today, you go to jail on a felony. Is that ridiculous? That's ridiculous. But we can't get that through the Indiana legislature. We can't get it through the Courts and Criminal Code Committee chaired by Republican Wendy McNamara from Evansville. So we, we, we still struggle. It took us 10 years to get constitutional carry done. I'm still celebrating the fact we did. But it can get frustrating. But at the same time, don't, uh, don't discount the fact that we've had some huge successes, whether it's constitutional carry, the self-defense immunity bill, church carry, a preemption, lifetime licenses, free lifetime licenses. There's a whole lot to celebrate in terms of what we've gotten done and what pro-2A legislators have gotten done here in Indiana. So we need to recognize the good when we express our frustration. But it was neat to see uh, Christy Nome uh, sign that bill for South Dakota anyway. And several others. I'll talk a little bit more about that. And again, I want to take your calls. I'll get into stand your ground law. I see we have a caller calls in. He's got a question about stand your ground laws. We'll get into that after we wrap up the discussion on the NRA annual meeting. But if you were there, want to talk about it, how you feeling about NRA these days, give us a call 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We're glad you're with us. Just to wrap up the discussion on the NRA annual meeting, again, big, really politically significant event was the leadership conference where we had a whole bunch of speakers come through. I've only mentioned a few. Um, but Ron DeSantis uh, actually sent a message by video, as did Nikki Haley. I was disappointed in both those that they were only there by video. I really wanted to hear both of them speak live. But uh, a number of others, Mike Braun, our own Indiana senator, uh, spoke, as did uh, Eric Holcomb, our governor. Uh, I'll tell you somebody who really impressed me. And this... This guy is worth keeping an eye on. And I had heard of him, but I had never seen him, never heard him speak. But Vivek Ramaswamy, he's an entrepreneur. He's running for president in 2024. So you got to believe he's a, a long shot to come anywhere close to a nomination. But he's going to be an up-and-comer. I mean, it, this guy, I believe, is 37 years old. So he's a young guy. But his speech at the NRA annual meeting was lights out. I mean, it was really good. He had by far the most energy of any of the speakers. I love his message. Obviously very pro-2A, but very conservative, generally speaking, economically. And, and the, the, the ways that matter most, including on 2A. He's a constitutionalist. I really like this guy. He's not going anywhere in 2024, I can't believe. But he's going to have a future, and he's going to make his name, uh, make a name for himself throughout this campaign. But anyway, that was neat. And uh, I was lucky enough to, to be right up front, so at great seats. Actually live-streamed the whole uh, Trump speech. Trump, you know, got an enthusiastic response from the crowd. Mike Pence, our former governor and vice president, uh, that was a little more mixed. Now, where I was sitting was right up front. I was there with kind of right around where a lot of uh, office holders and, and uh, NRA board of directors and some other people 
Um, and where I was, it sounded 90% positive when Mike Pence was introduced. But a lot of people I, I talked to that were sitting you know, a little further back said that they heard more boos than cheers. And I'm sure a lot of that comes from the 2020 election uh, when he certified the vote, when a lot of people, including uh, President Trump at the time, were urging him not to. And I'm sure he gets a mixed review for that. But he, he delivered what I perceive definitely as a campaign speech. Now, he's not announced that he's running for president in 2024, but it sure sounded like a campaign speech to me. But that was interesting. It was fun. I was glad I was there. A lot of speakers went on for about four or five hours, I think, totally. But it was neat. I was glad to be there. But more than anything, just to wrap up the discussion on NRA annual meeting, more than anything, it was just great to see the sheer numbers of gun owners here in downtown Indy and there in the convention center. Yes, you could carry a gun in the convention center during the annual meeting. The only limitation on that, a lot, there was a lot of confusion on this. I had people messaging me and post, I saw posts on social media where they're saying, oh, NRA is a bunch of hypocrites. They say they support our Second Amendment rights, but we can't carry in the annual meeting. And, and that, that is actually is incorrect, just as it was in 2019, just as it was, I think, in 2014. Yes, you could carry in the convention center. I saw a whole bunch of people lawfully carrying their handguns. But where you could not carry was actually into Hall A. It was the one big hall, uh, big room where President Trump, Vice President uh, Pence, and several other politicians and presidential candidates all spoke. That was being secured by the Secret Service. And so we, you had to buy, abide by Secret Service rules, including no weapons. In fact, security that I went through to get into that hall was about as intense a security as I've ever been through. It was much more intense than just, for instance, getting on a plane at the airport and getting through security at an airport. I've never seen anybody in security before take my wallet and actually pull all the cards out of my wallet and look at each one. So that was interesting. Um, and and I, had, I had a little tiny, actually, toothpick. It's a stainless steel toothpick that I keep on my keychain. And person said, you can't bring that in here. And it was as tiny as probably an inch long in terms of the actual toothpick part. And uh, said, nope, you can't bring that in here. So it was very intense. But anyway, it was neat. I'm glad it was here in Indy. I was glad it got the national coverage that it, that it did. A lot of people have asked me about protesters. And apparently there were some. I, I, and I don't know where the hell they were. I, apparently they were across Pan Am Plaza. And some people posted some pictures of them. But I, I was downtown for all three days, some days longer than others. I parked in the parking garage here at WIBC and then walked. And I didn't see a single protester. And so to me, it was just all a bunch of freedom-loving, constitution-loving uh, American citizens uh, enjoying their freedoms and checking out some really great gear. And that was neat. I enjoyed it. Um, got a different impression than that. Give us a call. We're going to take a break. We come back. We'll shift gears completely. Talk about stand your ground laws and talk about how they're being blamed for a series of what appear to be, based on the reported facts anyway, unjustified shootings where people are being prosecuted, but people are saying, aha, this is the fault of so-called stand your ground laws. And it really to me, demonstrates how much confusion there is about stand your ground, what they even mean, what, what they say, what they make legal, what they don't, what they justify, what they don't. A lot of confusion about this. I teach my Indiana gun law class, which I'm going to pitch here in just a minute, and that's a lot of focus we have is dispelling some of the rumors, giving people accurate information about how those laws actually work. That's what we'll get into when we come back and continue to take your calls. So give us a call, 317 317- 239-9393. We'll go to the phone lines here in this next segment. 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We're glad you're with us. So, again, we've had a, really a rash of shootings here recently that sound an awful lot like what happened at the Castleman Square Mall, and I've talked about it here on this show. I've talked about it on Hammer and Nigel a couple different times. But in Castleton here a couple months ago, a couple of teenagers walked up to a car. My understanding it was a, 
a common looking car, something like, you know, a, a, a Toyota Camry or a Honda Accord, something like that. I mean, how many million silver Honda Accords are there out there? So something like that. A couple of kids walked up thinking it was their car. And one of them tries the door handle. It had some tinted windows so they couldn't see into the vehicle. And a person in the vehicle said he thought he was being carjacked, responded by shooting one of these kids, killing them, and then was probably going to result in some problems for him. He's already being prosecuted. He then also got out of the car and chased after the other person who was running away and shot him a number of times as he's running away. That person is now being charged with a crime. Very similarly, in Kansas City, you had a a 16-year-old named Ralph Yarl who simply pulled into the wrong driveway, walked up, and rang the doorbell of the wrong house. He was simply at the wrong house. Innocent mistake. And the homeowner shot him. He had a group of young cheerleaders in Texas. When one of them accidentally entered the wrong car in a grocery store parking lot, a young lady, 20 years old, Kaylin Gillis, was was killed very similarly by simply pulling into the wrong driveway. This is in rural New York. A a young kid, Kinsley White, a six-year-old, from Gastonia, North Carolina, was shot outside her, uh, alongside, I should say, shot alongside her parents when her basketball simply rolled into the neighbor's garden. And the homeowner opened fire because a ball rolled into her, into their yard. And what are we seeing in response to this? We're seeing a whole bunch of people come out and say, aha, This is the fault of so-called stand-your-ground laws. And because of stand-your-ground laws, which some organizations like the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights have called, quote, a license to kill, end quote. Is that true? Is that how they really work? Does a stand-your-ground law simply allow you to use deadly force even when you can't make a valid claim, a legitimate claim, that you reasonably feared your life was in danger? Or can you just say, oh, yep, stand your ground. I'm allowed to use deadly force. There's a lot of confusion about this. People are deliberately, in my mind, spinning what stand your ground laws really do, what they really say, so as to try to get them repealed, simply because they want to limit your ability to defend your life, defend your home. But I'll talk about what stand-your-ground laws really are and what they're not. But let me tell you, based on the reported facts, because we have, yes, a stand-your-ground law here in Indiana. Now, I would tell you that it's more accurate to say there is a stand-your-ground provision in each subsection of our self-defense law that is much more that's a much more accurate way of putting it it's not a stand alone no pun intended statute that says aha there's a stranger stand your ground law how does that work what does it really mean we'll get into all those uh, issues when we come back and i promise this uh that we go to the phone lines we will do that as well but let me just tell you if you're of the belief that you can simply Tell a police officer after you've used deadly force, oh, I feared for my life. And that's some magic talisman that allows you to use deadly force that is wrong, that is fundamentally wrong, and can easily land you in prison. No, stand your ground laws don't allow you to use deadly force when they otherwise wouldn't be justified. We'll talk more about that when we come back. Right now we're taking a break here at the top of the hour. We'll be right back. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. 
Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And I'll tell you what, before we leave the topic of the NRA annual meeting, uh, if you're watching the uh, YouTube feed, again, you can see the video. Uh, again, I, as I always say, I'm not much to look at, but if you want to be on there, you can watch live video. Uh, but someone commented, there's a chat feature there on YouTube, and someone just commented, uh, really, it's a very important point. I saw this, and I really wanted to uh, address it as well, and that is that uh, the Daily Mail uh, – publication really out of the UK ran an article where they showed a whole bunch of pictures of very young kids handling guns at the NRA annual meeting. And some of them were uh, pointing a gun at the camera, uh, presumably with a person behind the camera or phone. And, and, and although maybe not, you never quite know. I mean, I, I, I have some awesome pictures. I have a great friend named Brett Kelly, uh, a professional photographer, and we took some awesome pictures where he actually hung a high-speed camera on a target stand, and he had a remote trigger for the camera where he could activate the shutter on the camera from standing behind me. But the camera angle is looking right down the muzzle of the gun. In fact, there's one picture that I, I use a lot just because it's cool. You can actually see the bullet coming out of the muzzle of the gun with a the, the the powder flash going on around it is pretty spectacular. And nobody nobody was endangered by that because the camera was hanging on a target stand. The camera might have been in a little danger, depending on how well I shot. <laughs> the good news is, is that both Brett, the photographer, and the camera survived the experience. But these pictures showed a whole bunch of very young kids handling guns at the NRA annual meeting. And there's a headline, Very Young Guns. Very young guns. Kids as young as six handle real firearms at the NRA convention as America is on course for the deadliest year on record. So that's the headline. And, yeah, you see a whole bunch of pictures of, of kids handling guns. They were Some were pointing, pointing them at other people. Some they were pointing it at the camera. And, and I mention this only because, first of all, Let's go through a couple of things. Was there any real danger? No, the guns on display at the NRA annual meeting. By rule of the convention, had to be made inoperable. In other words, you couldn't like slap a magazine full of rounds in one of these things and start pulling the trigger and have it go off. The firing pins were removed or they were otherwise made inoperable. So they're display only. But at the same time, I only mention it for this reason, and that is that we as gun owners have to be very cautious and very attuned to the fact that people are always trying to make us look bad. People are always trying to set us up. If, if, if you're at one of these things and, and you're handling a gun or the, your kid's handling a gun, and listen, do I think the kids who are at this annual meeting because their parents took them, are these the kids we're going to have to worry about down the line? being unsafe with guns? No, they're probably being educated at a very young age on gun safety and responsible gun ownership. These are not the kids you're going to have to worry about long term. However, the media can spin this. Anti-two-way people can spin it. They take those pictures. They go, oh, egads, look at this. Look what the NRA supports. Young kids pointing real guns at each other. We have to be mindful of that. For instance, I have I do media interviews a lot. You know, a lot of times People say, oh, I saw you on the news, you know, this day or the other day. And, and yeah, I do a lot of media interviews because I'm always willing to step into that breach. They're doing an anti-gun story. I'll say, hell yeah, I'll, I'll be interviewed. I always kind of look at it like, you know, if not me, then who? And I'll jump in, and, and, I, and I don't have any great expectation it's going to be a fair story, but I'm going to go in and say my piece. And I'm going to defend the Second Amendment, defend gun owners as best I can, and realize the editing process is probably not going to be very fair more often than not, but I'll still jump into that breach. But at the same time, when I'm doing media interviews, this has happened to dozens of times. Somebody comes to my office to do a media interview. I'm wearing a suit or a sport coat 
And they always say, oh, well, we were hoping to meet you at the range where you could have your technical gear on. No, I'm going to do the interview here in my law office wearing a suit. Okay, well, we're doing a, a, a story about assault weapons. Do you have an assault weapon? Yeah, well, de- depending on your definition, since politicians can never really tell you what the hell that term even means. But you're talking about semi-automatic rifles like AR-15s. Yeah, I've got several. In fact, there's a gun safe right there around the corner right here in my office. It's got three or four AR-15s in it. Awesome. Would you mind getting one of those out so we can do some video and take some pictures of you as part of our story? No, thank you. What do you mean, no thank you? No thank you. I'm not going to give him that visual image. doesn't mean there's anything wrong with a rifle, just the opposite. That means I'm not going to set, I'm not going to allow them to set me up to spin this in some way that makes gun owners look in the negative. Don't give them, no pun intended, the ammunition that they're looking for to spin stories to make us look like a bunch of irresponsible gun nuts. And that's, unfortunately, what a lot of social media picked up on after these pictures started circulating on the Internet. If I were standing there and I saw some photographer go, hey, hey, can I get your little boy to point the gun here at me at the camera so I can get some pictures? I'd say absolutely not. I would shield my kid from having any pictures taken. And that's not because the kid's necessarily doing anything wrong. Now, the rules of gun safety are the rules of gun safety. If you allow a kid to point a gun at a human being, I don't care if it's been rendered inoperable or not, the rules of gun safety are the same no matter what. All the rules of gun safety, what we call the four rules, they all start with always. Always keep the gun pointed in a safe direction. Oh, well, it's an inoperable gun, so just point it right at me and at the camera. Hell no. I'm following the rules of gun safety. There are no exceptions. You, you, you probably read here recently Alec Baldwin just had manslaughter charges against him dropped this, just this past week. Now, is he guilty of a crime? Should he go to prison? That's a question for a jury. It's not going to be a question for long because apparently the prosecutor dropped the charges. But he certainly violated a basic rule of gun safety, which is he pointed the gun at a human being. And he pulled the trigger. He did not also keep his finger off the trigger until he was on a legitimate target ready to shoot. And a, and a cinematographer died. Another person got shot. Why? Because he didn't follow the rules of gun safety. So my only point in all of this is, look, I'm not condemning anyone whose kid, you know, their picture showed up in this story, but let's don't help them. There are a lot of people that want to strip us of our rights and are working very, very hard to strip us of our rights. Let's don't give them any assistance in the process. Let's don't let them paint the picture of us as irresponsible or unsafe or people who ought to have our rights restricted. You know, when as Grandpa Relford used to say, when you're walking on eggshells, don't hop. And as gun owners, really, we need to be conscious of the fact that they're trying to put us in a bad light. Let's don't help them. Now, is this a fair article? Of course not. They, they really buried down toward the bottom of the article that the guns were actually inoperable. But they said, oh, look, the crazy gun nuts are letting their six-year-old kids handle real guns at the NRA annual meeting. Mm, let's don't help. I'll tell you, we're on the break. I will finally <laughs> change gears and go uh, into a discussion on standard ground laws here when we come back. Right now, we're taking a break. Give us a call, 317-239-9393. You can join the discussion, 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Uh, so we're going to start talking about stand your ground laws. And I'll tell you what, Jim has been incredibly patient. Uh, really called in right at the top of the show. So, Jim, thanks for hanging around, man. And you had a question. Well, my, my, I have a lot of family in uh, law enforcement. And I was always taught that uh, stand your ground meant an immediate threat. Like, say you're in your car and you're getting out and somebody runs up with a knife or gun and are threatening you with it. And my understanding is you can use deadly force, you know, in that case. 
Um, it's like also like in your home, somebody breaks in and they're on the intent of harming you. You don't you have a right to defend yourself in your home? Uh, that's my general understanding. Yeah, sure. And let, well, let me let me get into how the laws really work, Jim. And that is that um, people tend to refer to stand your ground as being like its own independent law. Like you know, Indiana has a stand your ground law. It's not exactly the way that works. Each different section of Indiana's self-defense statute has a stand your ground provision. And all this means is, and, and let me get into it, when you're justified, and this goes right to Jim's question, let's talk about the, the general rules of self-defense. You can use reasonable force, including deadly force. If you have a reasonable belief that deadly force is necessary, to protect you or a third person from serious bodily injury or from the commission of a forcible felony. So the the, the, the threshold is, and this is, I'm going to talk about castle doctrine in a minute because that's separate. You're under the general self-defense statute that applies to you no matter where you are. And typically it comes into play you're out in public. If you have this reasonable belief the deadly force is necessary to protect you or a third person from serious bodily injury or the commission of a forcible felony. Now, nothing about that law right there is stand your ground. People tend to think it is. It's not. There's a separate provision that's right there part of this, the same section of the, of the self-defense statute that adds... You can use deadly force. And then it says, with no duty to retreat. No duty to retreat. The duty to retreat or not is where stand your ground comes in. And so the, the whole section I'm talking about here under the general self-defense statute says, I can use reasonable force, including deadly force, with no duty to retreat if, and only if, big, huge if, we talk about this for a long time in my gun law class. If I have that reasonable belief that that deadly force is necessary to prevent serious bodily injury to me or a third person or the commission of a forcible felony. Stand your ground is just the no duty to retreat part. And here's where that came from. The word necessary is in there, right? So I have a reasonable belief that deadly force is necessary to protect myself or someone else from serious bodily injury or the commission of a forcible felony. Okay. A lot of courts across the country, I don't know about a lot, but a few, in different states came out and said, hold on, can you ever have a reasonable belief that deadly force is necessary? It's a focus on that word necessary. If you can run away first. In other words, if you have an opportunity to run away, that is retreat, then you never could have had that reasonable belief that deadly force was necessary. And a lot of legislatures looked at that. In fact, some courts also in other jurisdictions looked at that and said, hold on. The law is going to force me to turn my back on an attacker and run away. If that applies in your home under the Castle Doctrine, which we'll talk about here in a minute, I have to run out the back door while someone has broken into my home? I have to retreat first as an obligation? So what a lot of legislatures did, including ours here in Indiana, in fact, the majority of states across the country, not all, is they added this no duty to retreat language, just that one line, no duty to retreat, to say no, you can still have that reasonable belief that deadly force is necessary simply based on that reasonable belief that, in fact, you're preventing serious bodily injury to you or a third person or the commission of a forcible felony. So it's to prevent courts from interpreting the word necessary to say, well, it can't be necessary. You can't have that reasonable belief that it's necessary if you can run away. So in other words, I can stand my ground and use deadly force if, and only if, this is the, hard, this is the most important part, only if I meet that requirement that I have that, de that, that reasonable belief that I'm preventing serious bodily injury or the commission of a forcible felony. 
Just that language, with no duty to retreat, those few words is the stand-your-ground provision of the self-defense statute. People tend to think, oh, it's, it's the whole thing about fearing bodily injury or whatever. No, no, no. It's just that those few words that say you don't have to run away first to have that reasonable belief that force is necessary. Now, the Castle Doctrine is a separate subsection of the self-defense statute. You want to look up the statute? It's 35-41-3-2. Just Google it, 35-41-3-2. Put dashes in there. The first thing that will come up will be the result of that mathematical formula, 35-41. The second thing that will come up will be the Indiana statute. You can read the whole thing. In the very next subsection, we have what's called the Castle Doctrine. And it says, separate from that general self-defense statute that applies to you wherever, including out in public, a separate section says you can also use reasonable force, including deadly force, with no duty to retreat. Aha. So no duty to retreat means there's a stand-your-ground provision in the Castle Doctrine as well. But here's where the castle part comes in. If you reasonably believe that that force, meaning deadly force, is necessary to prevent or terminate an unlawful entry in or attack on your dwelling, that is your home. That goes on from there. I'll stop right there for now. So do we have castle doctrine? Yes. What's different about castle doctrine than the general self-defense statute? The one that applies to you no matter where you are says I have to fear that serious bodily injury, that reasonable belief that I'm preventing serious bodily injury to me or a third person or the commission of a forcible felony. There's nothing about the castle doctrine that, that makes me fear getting hurt. I can simply use reasonable force, including deadly force, with no duty to retreat. That's the stand your ground part. If I reasonably believe that force, deadly force, is necessary to prevent or terminate an unlawful entry into or attack on my home, my dwelling. That's castle doctrine. Does the castle doctrine have a stand your ground provision in it? Yes. That's the no duty to retreat part. But it's a separate justification. The castle doctrine is different. The reason we call it the castle doctrine is you can simply defend your castle. Now, let's talk about all these cases that are, that are getting blamed, all these instances where the castle doctrine is getting blamed for people shooting innocent people. And does it really work that way? The answer is no because of that huge if that's right there in the middle of the statute. In other words, okay, a teenager pulls into your driveway and walks up and rings the doorbell. Does stand your ground even apply there? Well, it would say you don't have to run out the back door before defending your home. However, that only applies if you have that reasonable belief that you're preventing an unlawful entry into or attack on your dwelling. And again, there's more to it than that. It goes on from there, but we're going to stop that for purposes of this discussion. So somebody rings your doorbell, are they trying to get in? No. Are they attacking your dwelling? No, they just rang the doorbell. So you never had a basis for that reasonable belief. You could say, well, it was somebody I didn't recognize, so I feared for my life. That fear has to be reasonable under the circumstances. Let's say you've got a ring doorbell, like I do. It just shows a teenager ringing your doorbell. I feared for my life. Well, if a prosecutor and or a jury down the road decides you didn't have a reasonable fear, you can scream, I feared for my life all day long. Doesn't make any difference. Does stand your ground protect you? No. Because if you never have that reasonable belief to begin with, stand your ground never applies. Now, if somebody walks up and is kicking my door. They're trying to get in my house. The hinges are about to give. I'm standing on the other side with a gun. Here it is. Boom. Door swings open. They're not in the, they're not in the house yet. They're just standing there. They've just kicked my door open. Can I shoot them at that point? Yes. At that point, I reasonably fear. Now, again, they have to be unlawfully entering your home. If that's your roommate, that's your wife, somebody you've given a key to, that's a whole different scenario. But let's a stranger who's just breaking into your house. They're not in your house yet. They just kicked the door in. Can you use deadly force? Yes. Does stand your ground apply? Well, it says you don't have to run out the back door before you prevent that unlawful entry into your home. That's the only application. There's a lot of misunderstanding. I hear 
and see lawyers on TV talking about stand your ground, and they completely don't get it. It's just the one provision that says if you meet the test, which is having that requisite reasonable belief, then you have no duty to retreat before you defend yourself or defend your home. That's how stand your ground works. It's not the ability to go, oh, I feared for my life, and then shoot anybody you want to. That's not how it works. That's never how it's worked. And it's very important. And so when you have something like a 16-year-old getting shot simply because he rang the wrong doorbell, or cheerleaders getting shot simply because they tugged on the door handle of the wrong car, somebody just can't wave their hands and say, stand your ground law and walk away. Not how it works. Not how it works. I hope I... I hope I clarified that a little bit. I hope I answered Jim's question as well since he was on hold for a darn long time. We're going to take a break here at the bottom of the hour. We're going to go back to the phone lines, and we'll talk more about this when we come back right now. Give us a call, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. I hope I was just able to clarify, I think, what is some real misunderstandings about how stand your ground laws really work. People tend to refer to an entire self-defense law as a stand-your-ground law. It's not, it's not really it. Or simply a stand-your-ground, meaning that no duty-to-retreat language is in with the rest of the, of, of the law as codified. But it's not a separate justification for the use of deadly force. It simply says we're not going to impose on you a requirement to run away before you defend yourself or others. If, 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 and this is so important, if you're otherwise justified, very important. In the meantime, we've had Tim call in, and I was talking about the NRA annual meeting earlier in the show. I think Tim wants to talk about that. So, Tim, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. How's it going, Guy? Good, man. You doing all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm out here in the shop working on my lawnmower listening to you. There you go. Awesome. So you were at the annual meeting. Yeah, we went Friday. Um, we got down there early Friday morning. We thought, well, we would go because we knew Saturday and Sunday would be packed. So, um, so the comment that I, the the thing about the Daily Mail uh, article, I did I did see that. I did read it and the pictures that they had. And yes, there were quite a few pictures there showing the kids handling the guns. And uh, I actually saw some of that. And there were other there were a lot i i don't know if you noticed it there uh, there was quite a few people set up with tripods cameras press and you you didn't know who they were and uh so it it seemed like there was people out taking pictures all over the place and uh, uh, you know i think you're right parents are going uh, it, to it just doesn't apply to the convention it's also a gun shows also and yeah. I think I think parents really have to start paying attention to that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I mean, safety is safety. And, uh, you know, I shot high power competition for over 20 years. And one of the things that we always did was when we were done uh, and you cleared the weapon, you put a flag in the chamber. Yeah. And that that had to be identified before anybody moved. And so, you know, it's kind of. Uh, did that kind of safety thing. And so you, you go around the show, and I, I get it. You know, everybody's walking around, and they're looking at stuff and all that. But uh, it, it only takes a couple of pictures like that to get out. That's the problem. Well, I agree with you completely, Tim. And and listen, the rules of, of gun safety, as I talked about earlier in the show, they all start with always, or no exceptions. Uh, it, it, you know, and, 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 and I think uh, going to something like a gun show or the big event here with the NRA annual meeting it's an opportunity for parents not only to get their kids enthused about responsible gun ownership uh, and, 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 and guns in general in terms of, um, you know, the ability to defend your, your home and your life, the ability to hunt, the ability uh, to compete, as Tim does. Um, so it, it's a great opportunity, but it's also an opportunity for some education. 
which is to reinforce all those rules of gun safety and say, yeah, okay, we understand these are display firearms, but we're going to treat them exactly the same way. And, and, and no, no violation of any rule, period. I, I was at a training course one time where the instructor said, okay, now I'm going to triple check that your firearms are unloaded. And only once I triple check, and I want everybody to take all the ammo out of their pockets, take all the mags out of your mag holders. We're going to leave all those, you know, back in the ready area. And then we're going to go uh, downrange because we're going to run some drills or I'm going to have you point your firearm at another student and pull the trigger. And now I'm gonna I'm gonna myself triple check that every gun's unloaded. We're gonna prevent any any ammunition even at, in the area of the drills, and then we're gonna run these. And he said, anybody uncomfortable with that? I raised my hand. I said, yeah, I'm not gonna do that. I said, if you got a blue gun, you know, a training gun, an inert piece of plastic, it's not even a gun. It's a hunk of plastic that looks like a gun. I'll do it with that, but I'm not pointing my gun at another student. I said, I wrote a book on gun safety, and I talk about always keep the gun pointed in a safe direction. Never put your finger on the trigger unless you're on an acceptable target and ready to shoot. I'm not going to violate the rules that I've been teaching for too long. And he, and the instructor was awesome. He's a really good instructor and said, I respect that. I understand that. And we, and we, he got me a training gun and I ran the drill. So you don't make any exceptions. That's the point. And look, I'm not criticizing. I, God bless you. You're down there at, at the annual meeting. You're there to to support Second Amendment rights. You're there to get your kids enthused. Uh, I'm, I'm glad they went. I'm glad they took their kids. But when we know people are after us, we know people are trying to portray us in a bad light. We got photographers walking around, and you know they're not all friendly. They've got press passes on for crying out loud. What percentage of them do you think are going to be friendly to the NRA or to gun owners in general? Don't help them. That's my only point. I don't want to sound overly critical of anyone, but... We don't need to provide any assistance to those people trying to strip our rights away or portray us as irresponsible. I'll tell you what, we're coming up on the three-quarter hour. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. We'll, we'll wrap up this edition of the Gun Guys show and continue to take your calls. If we have any additional calls, I'll try to get to them before the show's uh, over here at the top of the hour. But give us a call, 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guys show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back for the last segment here of the Gun Guys Show on 93 WIBC. I just got a private message on Twitter. And by the way, if you don't uh, already follow me on Twitter, I'd appreciate you uh, going to, it's just at Guy Relford on Twitter. I'm trying to build my, my Twitter following. I've been a lot more active on Twitter here lately as well. Uh, so go to Twitter, go at Guy Relford, give me a follow if you wouldn't mind. I'd appreciate it. But I got a direct message on Twitter that said, uh, I'm surprised President Trump got such an enthusiastic response from the NRA members since he's the enemy of the Second Amendment. And uh, and I haven't responded to that yet. Uh, but where's that come from? I mean, is that just completely a ridiculous statement? Uh, because, hey, look, uh, Donald Trump here at the NRA meeting, I was, I was there in uh, 2016 when he was endorsed by NRA when he ran for president. A big reason he was endorsed by NRA is he came out with his list of who he would appoint. Because keep in mind, there was an open Supreme Court seat at the time of the election in 2016. And so when we had the 2016 annual meeting, he came out and he said, here's a list of the people I will appoint to this open seat. And I'll use the same list uh, if any other vacancies occur in the court. And man, that was huge. That was the seat ultimately occupied by Neil Gorsuch, appointed by President Trump. In fact, I think by far the best thing President Trump or any president has done for Second Amendment rights in a long, long, long time, if not ever, has been to appoint the three Supreme Court justices that he appointed, Amy Coney Barrett, Neil Kavanaugh, and, or Neil Gorsuch, I should say, and Justice Kavanaugh. And, and, and that's huge. And, and, and they're taking the court in exactly the right direction. But the NRA endorsed President Trump, or then-candidate Trump, in 2016 and, and did so enthusiastically. A lot of people think that went a long way toward getting, getting him elected. He certainly credited NRA after the election. So where does this comment, I just got on Twitter, calling President Trump an enemy of the Second Amendment, where's that come from? Because he certainly said all the right things. In 2016, he said all the right things in 2020. 
I said all the wrong, all the right things here at NRA annual meeting over the weekend. Well, it's from a couple of places. So I, I, when I respond to this person, if I get the time, I'll say I know exactly what you're talking about. And first of all, is President Trump ordered ATF to do away with bump stocks after the Las Vegas shooting. Las Vegas, uh, that shooting uh, from a luxury hotel down into a, a country concert that was going on at an outdoor venue across the street. And there's still the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history, and bump stocks were reportedly used. And President Trump came out, and he did not say to Congress, you should amend the definition of machine gun in the National Firearms Act so as to include bump stocks. He simply told the ATF to find a way to ban bump stocks. A lot of us have a big problem with that because that's exactly what we're fighting against right now, which is ATF doing things like, oh, say, making any firearm a short-barreled firearm with a pistol brace on it, an SBR, short-barreled rifle, that you then have to register under the National Firearms Act. They said, hold on, you can't do that. Congress has to do that. Well, President Trump ordered the ATF as a regulatory agency to do what a lot of us have said only Congress can do. And President Trump did that, and that's a precedent we don't like. ATF, I'll guarantee it, looks back on what it did on bump stocks. And three federal circuits have upheld that, by the way. Only one federal circuit, the fifth, that includes Texas and Mississippi and Louisiana, has found it to be unenforceable. So President Trump set that precedent. The other thing that happened was, I believe it was after Parkland, uh, a mass shooting at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, if I remember correctly. He was talking about red flag laws. And he was talking, President Trump was talking about passing a national red flag law. And he was in a meeting, and this was... It was taped. It was filmed. And he's talking about a red flag law, and somebody, one of the members of his cabinet or a member of Congress in this meeting said, well, of course we need to protect due process. And President Trump said, take the guns first. Due process comes later. And a whole bunch of us looked at that and said, whoa, hold on. I got a constitutional problem with that. You're going to deprive somebody of their constitutional rights under the Second Amendment and only give them due process after the fact. So those two things, in my mind, bump stocks and, and his comments, no, nothing ever resulted from that except more states, a lot more states, passed red flag laws. But that's where that comes from. Is that a bit of a spotty record for President Trump? Yes. And, and, and even before he was elected in his book and, and in other public statements, he said some things that would make you a little nervous about an assault weapon ban because he came out and said negative things about so-called assault weapons. I, I hate that we even use that term since it's merely a politically made-up term. So, yeah, I, I, do I think, looking at some of the other presidential candidates in 2024, there are those who would have a stronger record or those who would have a stronger approach to Second Amendment issues? Mm, I can see that doesn't mean I didn't enthusiastically vote for President Trump twice, because I sure as hell preferred him to Hillary Clinton or to Joe Biden. No question about that. Uh, so, and, and, I, and, I, and I say that enthusiastically. So anyway, I, we, we didn't get into a couple of the topics I intended to go into here before the end of the show. Um, but we hope you enjoyed it. We hope you come back next week. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC.